It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's time for Studio 6P on a Friday night. We're off the rails already. We haven't even started. Delgado cannot get his ears on. I can't hear you. He cannot get his ears to work. What even is that? He's only had a half an hour to get up to work before we go on air, and he still can't get it. He's almost strangling himself over here. He still can't hear anything, which might actually might work out better. Shut up. <laughs> I heard that pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it might work out better for the show. So I like I like Lauren. Aaron. That's Miss Lauren to you. Uh, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Real America's Voice, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. Slick Rick's going to do some sports. David's here sitting in is going to do some news. Rick Delgado's got the news as well. Aaron and Fran holding it down as always. Well, I guess there's a lot to talk about on a Friday night. There's always some things, but it's pretty much all the same stuff we left off on yesterday. Other than um, this fat criminal from Hezbollah, I guess, their leaders uh, talked today for like an hour and a half. An hour and a half? Yeah, hour and a half. So we'll get to basically what he said. And uh, somebody who knows more about it than me probably could tell us better. But it seems to me like, I don't know, blame America, but give lip service to um, Hamas, basically saying you're on your own. And I, I'm not so sure that World War Three is right around the corner from listening to him. But that would just be my very basic novice, not really getting it take. Um, we'll see what you guys think after I go through what he said. Uh, Slick Rick, how are you tonight? Doing good tonight, Big D, on a Friday night. If I recall, I believe you're wearing June or July, maybe. <laughs> I think it might be May. <clears throat> Could know. be. It's one of those months because that's one of yep. my favorite shots. It's a good of shot. the calendar is that month, um, and that suit looks great on film. Yeah. Uh, anything? What's happened? Well, the oddsmakers is tonight. That's we got the, the big, oddsmakers coming up. That's the big sports thing tonight. Now, what's the recap of last night? You guys found your way back in the second half. The Pittsburgh Steelers held on to win by four, 20 to 16 over the Tennessee Titans. Took a last second interception in the end zone for us to seal the deal. Are you so, kidding me? <laughs> bite nails. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, wow. Yep, yep. Levis, uh, he threw a pick right at the end there. Uh, he, I don't know what he was thinking. He threw. There was three Pittsburgh uh, 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 defenders standing around one receiver. He thought he was going to thread the needle, and uh, no, pick off, and that was it. Game over. 
A lot okay. of happy fans in Pittsburgh. I know why night. you guys got lucky. Do you know why? Because you know who else had, who had Pittsburgh last night? Who liked Pittsburgh last night? Paul Nolan. Was the Zen master. Oh, the Zen really? master. So that was your luck. So oh. you guys should call him, thank him for that win. Because if he was on Tennessee, probably wouldn't have won. I wonder if he made that pick off the show. Because he does make picks from the show now and again. The Zen well, master. I, don't know. I don't know if he's doing that listening <laughs> to YouTube. I hope not. I'll definitely be out <laughs> of a not, job. we might be out of business here. <laughs> yes. Listening to YouTube, go broke. Exactly. Um, well, we've got the odds makers tonight, so that'll be coming up. I can't. This is a great week of games. <laughs> I've even looked at games. And me and Paul did some sports radio this week, so I actually been breaking down some games with Mr. Nolan, who, by the way, is very good. Who's he? Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, exactly. He's good. We're, we've been doing some sports Wait, stuff is he together. coming back? Well, we're not sure. <laughs> he's just not sure. It's okay. He's still got some things to figure out. So with his schedule, family, all kinds of good stuff. But he personally is good. So everybody asks me all the time about Paul. Paul's good. We're doing sports radio together still. Um, and whether he comes back to this show will be up to him. So we'll see. David Zier is going to do some news tonight. Mr. Zier, how are you on a Friday night? I'm great. How are you today? Nice to see everybody. Very good. Everybody anything, out there, um, hello. Anything on your radar today so far that you uh, caught up with? Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. I got some uh, updates on Ukraine fighting. A lot of serious losses for Ukrainian air, air force. Uh, a lot of MiG-29s were down in the last three weeks. Um, What's and, this footage uh, you have of... Um, Oh, I got great footage. So, what is that? Well, Yemen, which is the of course, Delgado thought it was a UFO. Well, why, why uh, that's not? What it like. <laughs> yeah, or a flying hammer. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Iran's behind the Houthi rebels, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard uh, in Yemen, and they're about eight hundred thousand miles from Israel, I believe, as the crow flies. Uh, they're launching missiles into Israel. And an F-35I from the Israeli Air Force, uh, which is an incredible airplane. The Air Force is incredible there. They even shot down our pilots like 22 to 1 in one of the Top Gun exercises one year, Israel. Um, they put the technology we give them uh, at work, like the F-16s. They, they taught it a 90-word vocabulary uh, to have voice controls. They took thermal imaging sites in our M1 tanks. They're very skilled, very smart. They shot down a cruise missile. The first time an F-35 has taken down an active missile in wartime um, in, in combat. Uh, and uh, this cruise missile, this footage here is uh, incredible. And uh, it's only 11 seconds, but boom, there you go. Boom, Look at there that. it is. So, um, you know, we'll see uh, if Israel can keep that up because I think it's going to get worse. And then you're going to have another 40,000 rockets coming in from uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon again, probably. Um, it's going to put Iron Dome and all the other assets they have to the test, I'm sure. I think I saw a number that there's been 8,000 rockets fired since um, October 7th. Yeah. A little and, less than a month. And Lebanon, you know, has these uh, Soviet-era Katusha rockets, uh, you know, from it's a diminutive of Catherine the Great from World War II. They get all these rockets. Uh, they've got a lot. I think they have like 30, 40, 50,000 maybe. Um, you know, they're not accurate, but, you know, people have to remember in the Intifada and the incursion in 07 of uh, Israel into um, <clears throat> Lebanon, Israel lost like 100 to 150 tanks. Uh, because of uh, Russian rockets provided to Hezbollah and other technologies. Uh, Israel had heavy losses. So, um, you know, we'll see if they line up again against Israel. But in 67, the Israel Air Force wiped out 47% of Egypt's Air Force before they even took off the runway. In 73, in the Yom Kippur War, they wiped out 50% of Egypt's armor in a few days. Um, and they'll probably do it again if they have to. 
Well, like I said, the Hezbollah chief, um, this uh, subhuman, he spoke today. So we'll get to that in a second. Mr. Delgado, looking like you're uh, hearing things well now. How are you? Huh? (laughs) (laughs) How was your day? Uh, Weather weather was nice, so you must be okay. Weather was nice, and another person came to me again at work. I don't get it, man. Come on. I really don't. I don't get it. They're watching the show. What no, do you mean you don't get it? Definitely. It's closet. No. Closet stuff, I'm telling you. I'm How telling do you figure you. no? Why you then? Like you wear uh, Trump shirts or something? I like don't. You wear- I, I no. don't wear it. Um, I, no, I don't talk about it. But but maybe I guess maybe uh, when, I say, when I hear people saying stuff, I'll chime in. Maybe that's why they feel, hey, he's chiming in. I can talk to him about this. Maybe that's it. Uh-huh. Because I'd never start it. I would never start it. Okay, so that's I just a little don't want piece of there. information we didn't have last night. So I can see that. Yeah, so it's, yeah uh, I know he's chiming in. Chiming in. Yeah. Well, you you got to chime in. <laughs> Grandfather clock over here. Especially when they're, yeah. when they're standing next to you and stuff. It's like, well, you know, uh-huh. he's standing next to me. I'm going to So what would in. be a subject that you, let's say, chimed in on? Uh, well, today's subject was uh, whether, uh, you know, the, the incursion into Israel was, uh, was uh, planned. Um and allowed to happen. No way. I know you say no way. It's no way. Was uh, planned and allowed to happen. Allowed to happen. So you work with people basically like, very know. similar to you. No. All nuts. No. Oh <laughs> yes. You work as in they, a nut pound. They, they walk. They walk about society and nobody looks at them different. Then there's me. Definitely exactly. holes. Have you heard this music playing works. when you're at work? Ralph Rotten's nut pound. That's where he works. Definitely holes in their security, and uh, the whole country's in turmoil. So I, I believe that part of it. <laughs> you guys are off the wall. But do you hear that music playing from anyone's, um, you know, as if as a ringtone? They're walking around. Um, yes. No. Okay. Okay, maybe once. Um, no, but it, but but the person brought up an interesting point. Okay. Uh, about you know was it allowed to happen? And this is a, this is something you know when it first happened, it kind of caught my attention too because yeah. as you know, Mossad is you know they're on the level of the CIA in terms of intelligence gathering, right? Better, yeah. yeah some would say even better. Um, and supposedly they have they know everything that goes in and out of Gaza. Everything. Well, they, I have, they, they've uh, got they've got things lined up where where they know where this person's moving, where that's going. From what I've understood, it's an incredible system that they have set up for their protection. Yeah. And for something like this to happen, somebody had to go. You know, it was almost like it was almost like that 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 scene in in uh, an airplane when uh, what's his name pulls the pulls the big plug out of the wall and goes, "Oops!" Um, you know, to let something just just transpire without certain people seeing it. That's all you I'm know, saying. I, I was watching Russian television and they had one of the Hamas leaders on there talking about that they kept this attack very close to the vest. And there was only a few people who really knew in leadership positions about it. Um, and it was very tightly, um, tightly controlled. So, um, but I, I don't believe that Israel would ever let that happen to their own people. No way. No, I don't either. But, but again, the, the intelligent failures... You know, um, that's that's a major intelligence failure. Well, the fact that they're not even dealing with it, they're going to wait till afterwards. It's like, well, Netanyahu, you would think people would want to be held accountable now. Netanyahu is, uh, you know, in a very bad position in Israel. He's hanging on by a thread to his leadership. Uh, I think he's their best leader. He's the most conservative guy, um, educated in the United States, you know, just really great uh, guy. But, you know, uh, the people of Israel are tend to be liberal. And, um, you know, that's like a coalition government now. It's, he's not in a leadership role. So 
There might have been. Um, by the way, the left is playing on that right now. We talked about this yeah. last night. They're throwing yeah. it out there to the media. Oh, he may not be there that long. Yeah. Right. I mean, who else do you want when your country's at war besides Netanyahu or Moshe Dayan or somebody like that or Golda Meir? You know, um, you don't want some lefty in there supporting Hillary Clinton. That's for sure. Right. So Hezbollah chief um, speech today, about an hour and a half. And I saw a lot of social media covering it. Um, but basically, Tyler Durden, ha ha ha, over at Zero Hedge, came up with a um, a pretty good summary, and it was basically that the U.S. is directly responsible. Was kind of the the crux of of the message for the Gaza atrocities, and that we will soon pay a heavy price. Is basically the summary. Um, Hezbollah Secretary General speech went just for under an hour and a half, and while full of threats and ultra-provocative heated words aimed at Israel and, of course, us, the United States, this was not a declaration of war speech, as some kind of expected that maybe we would, this would be now expanding into World War III, but he emphasized that Hezbollah's full entry into war with Israel would be, will be determined based on developing events in Gaza, which... I kind of read to mean, you know, hey, you're on your own, but I guess we'll see. And whether Israel halts its attacks on the Palestinian people. Uh, all, all options on the table, he said, um, I assure you all options are open on the southern front. They can be adopted any time. I assure you it will not be the end. Uh, this is not sufficient. If you wish to steer away from a regional war, you must end the war in Gaza. This front will be de- well, this front will develop according to developments in Gaza, he said. If Israel strikes Lebanon, it will be the most foolish act in all of Israel's existence, he said. Uh, U.S. sent a message to Hezbollah warning its ships and planes will attack. He said, we were warned soon after October 7th that U.S. ships and warplanes positioned in the Mediterranean would bombard southern Lebanon if Hezbollah fighters escalate attacks on Israel. He said, we will continue to infiltrate a civilian for a civilian, meaning that attacks from southern Lebanon will be determined based on the intensity of Israel's attacks on Palestinians. To the Americans, I say, focusing, on, focusing your threats on Hezbollah and the region are pointless. Would, would not only attack Lebanon, but would attack Iran. Your fleets in the Mediterranean do not and will not cause us fear. We have prepared for you. And we have prepared for your, your fleet what it takes. You Americans remember your defeats from Lebanon early 80s, Iraq and Afghanistan, your humiliating retreat from Afghanistan. And of course, he praised other attacks recently on U.S. based in the region. All right, more on this when we get back. News and sports all coming up. Just a little more from this speech today from Hezbollah's leader. He said, only you Americans can end what is happening now in Gaza since you started it. The only factor that will affect our position in the progression of the war. U.S. is directly responsible. I tell Israel, do not go any further. Many civilians have already died. I promise you a civilian for a civilian. At one point of the speech, he laid out that Hezbollah's daily missiles and shelling of northern Israel, which have remained limited so far, have served to force Israel to deploy up to one-third of its military hardware and assets into the northern border. 
He explained that in doing so, Israel is not prevented from focusing its full firepower on attacking resistance factions in Hamas, on Hamas and in Gaza. Other notes from the speech, he said, we, uh, we have to be ready and present for all future probabilities. Says attacks on Israel near Lebanon borders is very big from our side and very important and it will not be enough for us anyway. Says the group is aware it's taking a risk in the daily border attacks against Israel. Says Israel forced to deploy heavily on the border. October 7th attack was purely Palestinian decision and an execution and no one knew about the Hamas plan, he said. Says the U.S. is directly responsible. Says Israel will fail in wiping out Hamas as it failed in 2006 to wipe out Hezbollah. Um, Says Hamas attacks show Israel's vulnerability and weakness strategically and militarily to the point that the U.S. sent its ships to the Mediterranean at the onset of the attack. So a lot lot of people are reading this as um, more lip service than anything else to Mm -hmm. Hamas, basically saying... You know, we're going to, we'll talk a little tough here, but you're basically on your own, and we have seemingly no interest in broadening this into some kind of regional war. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like, right? Uh, so much for uh, the tough talk. You know, if, if they were really, really prepared, that they probably would be, you know, saber-rattling a bit more. Right? Wouldn't you say, David? I mean, that's, that's well, given the what they're seeing the from the Biden administration, region. which is total weakness and capitulation— as, as the, I mean, they're calling for, oh, not a ceasefire, a pause. Yes, the pause. So, I mean, the, the, the Biden administration is kind of, they've given them cover to kind of come out today and say whatever they want, but still, and again, I don't, you know, more, a lot of people know more about it than I do. Seemingly what I've read, people took this as, hey, you're on your own and we're not going to call, we're not going to um, make this a broader deal and get involved here. I don't buy that. I, I think um, if, uh, you know, Hamas strikes, Hezbollah strikes more, um, you're going to see um, major support uh, from Britain, United States, uh, for Israel. You know, um, but what, do you, um, Israel, what I'm saying is yeah. about Hezbollah even getting involved. I think they already are involved. I think they will continue to be. I mean, Hezbollah is Hamas right now. It used to be Hamas was Sunni, but Hamas is being funded by Shiite terror. So... Um, I, I think it's only a matter of time before the rockets start launching, but they're smart, right? So they want to draw in public opinion. So they'll launch, you know, a thousand rockets into Northern Israel. They'll only kill a few people in Israel. They'll incur into Lebanon again. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's Israel who's escalating the violence, but meanwhile, kids have to play in the basements of uh, houses because they can't play outside because rockets are raining down in under 15 seconds. Um, on Israel from the north and the south. It's a very unfair situation for Israel. Hey, hey Damon, I know you mentioned the, uh, the quote-unquote pause that uh, I guess Secretary Blinken is going over there to talk about. Uh, do you want to hear what uh, Mike Johnson had to say about that? Yep. All right, we have a clip here. Aaron? Regarding Israel, um, while House Republicans are leading on approach, we're also leading the charge to support our cherished friend. And last week, in one of my first acts as speaker, we passed a resolution reaffirming our commitment to Israel and its moment of peril. And now, as Israel begins the next phase of its war, it's been kind of disturbing to us. I've heard Democrats uh, suggest that there needs to be a ceasefire. Let us be clear. We've been very clear about this. There was a ceasefire. It was before October 7th, and Hamas broke it, and Israelis suffered unspeakable acts of evil, as you've heard even recounted here this morning. Israel doesn't need a ceasefire 
It needs its allies to cease with the politics and deliver support now. And that's what we're doing. House Republicans plan to do that. We're going to do it in short order, and it provides Israel the aid it needs to defend itself, free its hostages, and eradicate Hamas, which is a mission that must be accomplished. So there you go. Seth Mandel makes, I think, a good point, kind of in line. I know David doesn't agree. He says, after listening today, I can say that Hezbollah right now is the moderate wing. <laughs> Cornell University <laughs> is the militant wing. Because uh, listening to his speech today, he says... Uh, his speech today was less inflammatory than some of those made on U.S. college campuses in the past few weeks. So Hezbollah terrorism, <clears throat> you know, when they killed uh, Colonel Higgins and CIA station chief Jim Buckley, um, and they, you know, blew up our uh, embassies and killed our Marines, um, you know, Hezbollah's moderate. How is that? You know, it, they're, they're disgusting, Hezbollah. Yeah, but I, th I mean, I just think his, his point is that, and again, you know, I don't know as much about it as other people, but listening and list, reading the speech today, I think a lot of people came to the conclusion that it was a lot of lip service, that it wasn't as inflammatory as some thought. It wasn't a direct um, call to broaden this out. Hezbollah has been firing on Israeli forces since October 7th, not only before that every day with rockets here and there, but... They've been they've been engaged in warfare. Um, I don't know. I think it's only a matter of time. And Bashar Assad and uh, Iran and the uh, you know the, the Shiite leadership in southern Iraq, uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, uh, Yemen shooting rockets cross continental almost into Israel. Um, this will escalate inevitably, in my opinion. All right, we'll see. We'll have more analysis of it. We'll see what uh, other people thought of the speech today. Uh, in the meantime, let's do some sports right now. Oddsmakers coming up at the end of the show. Sports brought to you by Mike Lindell and My Pillow. Slick Rick, what's going on? All right, Big D. Well, it's Friday night. You know, we got to go. We got to go. It is a rodeo, and we found one in Lubbock, Texas. Kicked off tonight. Cook's Garage going through tomorrow night. Let's get right to it. This is um, Steer Wrestling. Second round. Tristan Kalawaya. 3.7 seconds. Team Roping, also second round. Casey Tew and Evan Arnold, 4.5 seconds. Tie down. We have Bryce Derra, 7.7 seconds, $2,800 there. And Battle Racing Leader right now, Rainy Skelton, 17.8 tenths. Great time there. $204,403. Pretty, uh, pretty well-funded rodeo, Big D. So we'll have a full recap Monday night of that rodeo. There's a couple of roping events going on as well throughout the country, and we'll get to those. Uh, and let me just get recap the game last night that we had an odds makers on. Thursday night football, Amazon Prime. Steel is shut door in fourth quarter continue titans road skid this is uh bryce Pryor and uh tyron davenport of espm pittsburgh in a tuesday night game that kicked off week nine with much fanfare after tennessee titans rookie will levis this is four touchdown debut last week the titans and the pittsburgh steelers traded field goals most of the night before pittsburgh was able to score late and hold off a last ditch effort by the titans in the 20 to 16 win with four all remaining in the fourth quarter steelers quarterback kenny pickett found wide receiver 
Deontay Johnson for the three-yard touchdown. The win allows the Steelers to keep pace with the AFC North leading Baltimore Ravens 6-2 and two, as Levis fell to 1-1 one and one as a starter, filling in for the injured Ryan Tannehill. Linebacker Kawan Alexander was able to seal the win when Levis threw his first interception of his young NFL career on third and five from the Pittsburgh 19-yard line with six seconds remaining. So he still had another shot. If he didn't make that, I think he should have threw the ball away. There was a receiver that looked like he was getting open in the corner of the end zone, the right corner. He missed him, and he threw into three defenders, as we said earlier in the show. And, well, Pittsburgh Steelers, much-needed win. We got a lot of Steeler fans in the chat. Steph 44, Joanne Ohio, they like the Steelers. I believe Joanne Ohio likes the Steelers. And uh, so, good for them. World Series was least-watched fall classic in TV history. We talked about this last night, but I just want to follow up that story with another report from this morning. And I will get to that in the next sports segment as we're down to uh, Inside the Minute. All right, we'll do that when we get back. Live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. What even is that? Coming up at 9 p.m., the odds makers will end the show. David Zier's got news. All coming up right after this. Studio 6B, 30 minutes past the hour on a Friday night. Slick Rick's going to do some more sports here in a second. David Zier's going to do news. Delgado will do news as well. Aaron and Fran holding it down. Glad you're in on a Friday. Lots to get to. What even is that top of the second hour? What is your uh, ah. what is your what even is that about tonight? Well, let's see. Uh, hint. Uh, uh, it's, it's deja vu all over again. How about then? Deja what? Deja Ven all over again. Deja Ven all over again. I'll That's leave a clue. It there. Okay. That's it. That's your hint. See you at nine. All right. Very good. See you at nine. <laughs> Odds makers coming up to end the show. Aaron and Slick Rick will make their picks. I got a feeling they might be on the opposite of some very heavy duty games this weekend in the NFL. One particular that I'm interested to see where we land. I wasn't going to go there with we'll that get, game. Well, don't. I'm just <laughs> I'm just giving a little promo. We'll do that at the end of the show. But uh, right now, let's pick up and do a little more sports before we do news with Delgado. What's going on, Slick? Uh, great football weekend, indeed. Let me just get to that story I was trying to cover before with the World Series was least watched fall classic in TV history. I think right on this show, we had called it when the matchup was up. Yeah. Rick, right? Uh, last Friday's show, we yep. talked about it. We said, who's going to watch this? Well, <laughs> people from fast. Texas and some people in Arizona and, well, uh, not a whole lot more, actually. Um, and it actually was a great win for the Texas Rangers. I'm so glad they won. It was a good World Series. First one ever, so good for them. But the Texas Rangers, 5 nothing victory over the Arizona Diamondbacks for their first championship on Wednesday night drew the largest audience of this World Series. However, it was not enough to prevent the five-game series from being the least watched fall classic and recorded TV history. Neil and Fox said Thursday the World Series averaged 
9.11 million viewers, uh, less than the 9.79 million average from the 2020 series when the Los Angeles Dodgers beat the Tampa Bay Rays in six games. That was uh, the, during the COVID season, right? Uh, it was a 23% decline from last year's series when the Houston Nationals beat the Philadelphia Phillies in six games and an average 11.78 million. A Wednesday night's game averaged 11.48 million on Fox, a jump of 3 million compared to Tuesday night's audience. The total audience across Fox, Fox Deportes, and Fox streaming platforms was 11.64 million. It was the first audience over 10 million for this year's series. Monday night's game three set the record for the least watched World Series game on record at 8.13 million. The least watched on record. We're going back how many years? Uh, the audience um, peaked with 4.14.2 million viewers for the final three outs. Baseball and network executives figured this series might face a tough audience because of the two teams that don't have much national appeal. The expanded playoffs also meant it was a series matching the teams with the seventh and 11th best record. So you didn't even have the top teams. You had teams that kind of came in through the back door towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. And uh, wow, it's a uh, really staggering. I don't know how much of it is a statement of we don't want to watch woke sports and how much of it is a statement that it's just bad markets. Probably mixed in a little bit of both. I'd probably say 70-30. It's just that they were just small markets, and that's what it's all about. That's why you'll see the Dallas Cowboys on TV in New York 14 out of 17 games a year because they're still a big market team, even though they're from Texas. But, well, they're America's team, so to speak. And they didn't name themselves that. 1978 NFL oh Films goodness. named them that, not the Cowboys. So don't blame them for that that comment. But and that's a wrap Sports Big D. Back to you. We'll have some more cowboy chatter at the end of the show, no doubt. Oh, okay. Very good. Very Great. good. Slick Rick's getting a little steam I see coming out of his ears over there already. Aaron, I'm wearing better, green. I'm so fired up for this Eagles game out, today. So. Look at that. Okay. Okay, very good. Uh, all right, very good. We'll do some more sports here in uh, the before the uh, end of the hour and, of course, an hour or two with the odds makers. Let's do some news. News is brought to you by our friends at 7Cells, seven 7Cells.com. Seven Rick Delgado, what's going on? All right. Well, as you know, uh, the election 2024 is rolling around, and, and we've had a bunch of people decide, hey, you know what? I don't think I'm going to run this time out. Uh, one of those being uh, Representative Ken Buck. Yeah, yes. yeah. One of the eight House Republicans who voted to oust Speaker Kevin McCarthy last Good month riddance. announced Wednesday that he would not seek re-election next year, weeks after exclusively telling the New York Post that he was eyeing a job in, you guessed it, cable news. Oh, boy. Uh, Buck. <laughs> yeah. uh, he jumps off the screen at <laughs> oh, you, boy, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cartoon News Network. Yep. <laughs> MSNBC. He jumps yeah. off the screen at exactly. you, Ken Buck. Oh, sure. He's quite the personality. Yep. He announced his uh, future plans during a midday interview on MSNBC, hoping it was a job interview. He said uh, to Andrea Mitchell, I've decided that I'm not going to seek re-election. I'm joining Kay Granger of Texas and probably some others in the near future. I guess he's tipping the hand. Yeah. Um, of those who decided, you know what? Looks like uh, our time has come. Yeah. Uh, Let's start MTDS yeah. station. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The buck stops here. Yeah. But I've decided. Trump derangement syndrome. That's that's their that's their call letters. But I've decided that it's time for me to do some other things. I've always been uh, I've always been disappointed with our inability in Congress to deal with major issues. And of course, he being the member of Congress, he's part of the problem. And uh, and I'm also disappointed that the Republican Party continues to you know rely on this lie that the 2020 election was 
stolen there we go. and rely oh, on the oh, January yeah. 6th narrative and political prisoners. If we're going to solve difficult problems, we have to deal with some very unpleasant truths or yeah. lies and make sure that we project to the public what the truth is. Yeah, sure. So Ken Buck, he released his uh, statement video. The truth video. is you're a loser, yeah. and, and we're going to get rid of all the losers. I, uh, I interviewed Trent Lisey uh, two weeks ago, who's running against him in the primary, but now that Buck's gone, maybe Trent has a chance, a young guy, farmer. In that district, conservative Ken Buck, district. Mitt Romney, who else are the losers that are out of here? Good, good, good riddance yeah, to all of them. Exactly. Let's see if we can get more of them to uh, head on out the door. The um, out of there. Speaking of speaking of things that are that are uh, happening in the House and over in the Senate, uh, it was a meeting of the minds when Chuck Schumer and Mike Johnson talked one on one for the first time recently. The Senate Majority Leader well, meeting of a mind and che- a numbskull. Yeah. Well, check this out. If, if if this doesn't remind you of something he said um, about President Trump early on, may, maybe uh, maybe it might it might spark that uh, memory for you. The, mar- the Senate Majority Leader urged the new speaker to take a bipartisan approach sure. ahead of a chaotic fall spending fight. It's safe to say Johnson isn't listening. The Louisiana Republican on Thursday used his first major legislative push, a $14 billion bill, to shore up Israel's defense against Hamas to flex his conservative credentials rather than show goodwill towards his Democratic counterpart. Uh, by muscling through the Israel bill that slashed the key Democratic priority, Johnson sent a clear message to the Senate leader. He'll have to work with that for at least a year. He's fine thumbing his nose at Schumer to help keep the House GOP as united as possible. It's an approach they say may may prove difficult for Johnson to maintain. Of course, that that wasn't taken lightly by Schumer. Um, the New Yorker cited Johnson's passwords from a springtime vote to raise a debt ceiling. He said, I hope he remembers a sentence as he moves forward. I want to work with him. I want to try. But he also said, uh, <laughs> it takes this, um, take it, taking this from the uh, headline, uh, he warned Speaker Johnson to watch his back. Yeah. Okay. If that doesn't get your attention as to, uh, you know, the, the intelligence community has seven ways from Sunday getting back at you. Oh. That's another threat by, uh, it seems like, uh, Chuck Schumer. Shots fired. Well, that's what he does. He threatened the Supreme Court. He threatened, you know, he th- yep. threatened Trump. He does this is what he does. And un- unfortunately, too many times the Republicans, whoever it is, capitulate. Whether it was Speaker Ryan, Speaker Boehner, Speaker McCarthy, they all got their ass kicked around. Uh, Boehner, particularly. Uh, by Pelosi and them, and all of these negotiations all the time. So uh, Mike Johnson, of course, won't do this, but instead of thumbing his nose, he should give him two big middle fingers is what he should do to Chuck Schumer because that's what he deserves. Yeah, Schumer called the House GOP's Israel aid plan not serious, but Johnson's allies are ecstatic to see their new leader pick a fight with the Democrats led by the highest-ranking Jewish official in U.S. history in the the form of, uh, in a way, that former Kevin McCarthy rarely did. Yeah, it's it's amazing. He 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 wants to push this uh, this uh, funding for Israel right to the top. Make make it a top priority. And what does the highest ranking Jewish official in Congress sure. say? Yeah. Nope, not going to do it unless you include Ukraine. So, and, and you know who the people who put Chuck Schumer in those positions are all, all is the Jewish community of New York. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of these voters, all of these people True. in the Democratic Party who are going to now come out and supposedly in the Senate um, and Biden and all these people, they're all going to come out against this. It's that community that all put them there. Yeah. Which is the irony of all of this. It's amazing. Which is why they're they're trying to play. Um, 
you know, they're trying to double back on all of this, Biden. It's all politics at this point with Israel. It's all politics at this point. They're worried about losing Michigan. They're trying to figure out how, how not to lose Michigan, how to, not, how to not lose these swing states where you have Muslim populations like in Dearborn up there in Michigan. You can't lose Michigan. So at this point, it has nothing to do with Israel. It has nothing to do with the people of Israel. It has nothing to do with the Jewish community here in, in the United States, in New York City, and all these places where there's heavily populated Jewish community. It's all politics for Biden at this point. How do we not lose here, there, who's there, what group is right. this? It's all about groups and where they don't want to lose. I think, uh, Damon, I've been thinking a lot about what you said, I think it was last night or the other night about, you know, uh, does the Democratic Party suffer over um, yeah. this? Um, and I, I, I think they will. I think they'll suffer in the midterms. Um, that extra money, you know, um, and then, you know, never mind the money to the colleges. And now firms aren't hiring from colleges that are pro-Palestinian, oh, yeah. pro-Hamas. And, 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 and these kids are very upset because yeah. they're being they're being outed as anti-Semitic. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, that, that doesn't look good on a resume. No, no. It's like, you know, I was told my my daughters and my son, you know, uh, don't put anything on Facebook you're going to regret later. <laughs> so True. Lives yeah. forever. Very true. Good advice. Very true. Hey, one last thing about Schumer. As I mentioned, he is now vowing to kill the House passed standalone bill providing $14 billion to Israel. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. We dare you. Go ahead. The Senate, he says, will not take up the House's GOP deeply flawed proposal on the Senate floor just ahead of the final vote on Thursday. Instead, we will work together on our own bipartisan emergency aid package that includes aid to Israel, Ukraine, and in competition with the Chinese government, and humanitarian aid to Gaza. So he wants to include Ukraine and Gaza and all this stuff. Yeah, uh, It's amazing. They, w- they want to fund Israel, but they also want to fund Gaza. Go ahead. Mike keep Johnson the, should say, go right going. ahead. Exactly. Go ahead. Call your bluff. Dare you. Schumer described the House bill as unserious and woefully inadequate in aid. Um, and, of course, President Biden vowed to veto the legislation. And like Rand Paul said, he's, he's, he's just bluffing. Republicans have got to start seeing things through. Yeah. There's some there's some tremors today I heard this morning about about the um the Tuberville holdout. Maybe that's going to start to um not not Tuberville, but maybe the Department of Defense is starting to say, "Okay, is this really worth it?" Yeah. You got to start you got to see it through. So they've passed this bill. There there there's no there's no we're going to come up with our own. N- no. No, this is it. You vote it down. Go ahead. So we'll see. Yeah, it's like Robert Conrad. I dare you. Knock it off Knock my shoulder. Knock that battery, oh, battery. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly right. What I mean. It's an old commercial. We've talked a lot on this show about the anti-Semitic problem the Democrat Party has. And it's, it's it, at this point, they're so, they've, they've so pulled the cover off of it and they're just standing out there in the open on it now. And I talked about Chris Murphy yesterday. I saw him on last night with uh, Chris Hayes. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I want to mention on, on the good side here is, and this is unbelievable. Talk about moral clarity coming from a place you'd never expect it. If you haven't seen the video that the vice chancellor of Germany, Robert Hayback put out today, go watch it. And as Chasco Bennett says, I'm stunned and shaking after 25 days of watching international support for Israel collapse 
in the condemnations against her coming fast and furious, seeing Germany standing up and loudly declaring its historical responsibility to Israel is something I was not prepared to view. The world has basically left the Jews to fend for ourselves yet again. After the heinous atrocities of, of Hamas, the feckless UN has failed in its basic duty. As a grandchild of German-born grandparents, I am not sure how to process the fact that Germany is getting this moment right while so many others, including the UN Secretary General, are failing so abysmally to defend civilization itself and reaffirm Israel's duty to right to protect and defend itself. The Germans, it's hard to process this surreal moment in history, especially for me, a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. All right, we're back. More sports news with David Zier coming up right after this. from Studio 6B, 13 to the hour. I saw James Comer tell Lou Dobbs earlier today that the Bidens are going to be subpoenaed in the coming days, so I think that's probably a little news. <laughs> that, that could be a little news. He said, because we've got these bank accounts, then we're very close to bringing in the Bidens. I'd say it's a matter of days before they get served. Yeah. Well, so you know what's Sarah interesting? James and... Because you played that James Comer video where he did did that kind of diagram as he explained it, yeah. uh, where the money went from this bank account to that bank account to the, the brother to the wife to finally ending up uh, with a check for forty thousand to Joe Biden, which you know from that four hundred thousand, that's ten percent for the big guy. My question is because it was a five million dollar payment. And you know they've got 20 shell companies. Now, what happened to the rest of that money is my question, because I'm sure it was diverted to these other shell companies. And are there other payments from those shell companies that also inevitably end up in, in Joe Biden's bank account? Or went to hookers and blow. Well, aside from <laughs> I'm that. sure both. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, because you would think, okay, I just uh, negotiated a deal for $5 million. Uh, I think I'd be, you know, hey, hey, a little more than forty grand here, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you think that's a little uh, like? Yeah, it, that, did, it like, didn't seem like a small. lot of money when I saw the check. Yeah. I was it's like, it's not yeah. a lot when you consider five million and you get forty grand. It's like there's got to be more that's yeah. funneled through these other well, companies. Didn't they locate like hundreds of transactions? And isn't that part of the? Yeah. Uh, and this is just one transaction. So I'm wondering if they're, they're going to expose more transactions. Hey, from that $5 million, another half million went here, 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 and another 50000 50, And he paid like, what, Joe. two right. or $3 million cash he, he may for have the ended beach up, house? You know, and... He may have ended up with, uh, what's, what's 10% of uh, $5 million? Yeah, it's a yeah. lot. Half a million dollars? Yeah. So maybe that's the way they were doing, the, doing their, uh, their divvying up, as they say. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do some news uh, with David Zier. He's got a lot going on, a lot on his mind. Breaking point, of course, uh, tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., right here on Real America's Voice. What's going on? Uh, well, no one is safe from South Park. Uh, airing for over 25 years, the creators of South Park have turned their sights on Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy. 
from Lucasfilm, who many feel have ruined the whole Star Wars episode series uh, and Disney, which is total woke and pandering. And in the latest episode, joining the Pandaverse, South Park is turning into the Pandaverse um, because of Disney's woke agenda and all the characters on the show beginning to turn from white males to black women on the show. And all the parents of the show become uh, the mom becomes the dad, the dad becomes the mom, all teachers switch gender roles. Um, But this is all because the people at Disney in their boardroom are secretly worshiping a, a Panderstone, a mythical object, a secretive object, and they opened a portal to the Panderverse, and they're hurtling towards getting stuck in the Panderverse forever. And it was really hilarious. I watched it last night after I got back from LFS6B, and Bob Iger, Disney's uh, uh, Bob Iger, who went totally woke, joins forces with the cast of South park in the episode which were all white high school kids like eric and everybody who uh who became black females to fight against lucasfilm's kathleen kennedy who took over disney and making it completely woke and to recover before they become stuck in the pandaverse forever and they show a disney boardroom going completely woke the characters in the show um they tried to save themselves from ultimate doom um but in the show disney replaces Bambi with a chicken to show their diversity. That's how extreme they were in South Park. Uh, but in the end, the South Park cast recovers themselves from the ultimate uh, situation of pandering to everybody and then lectures Disney on how they ruined their last few movies and have been garbage and uh, the way they went over the top. Of course, it's all tongue in cheek, but it was really witty uh, about uh, everything that Disney has become. But I thought it was really fascinating because they went into um, so this character, Eric, who was turning into a black adult female in the show. Um, had to fix the oven for his wife and nobody could figure out how to fix the oven. And the dad said, children, you're useless. You don't know how to fix anything. Let me show you how to fix it. And he said, let me call, show you how to call the handyman. Right. So it was a, a play on like American society. Nobody knows how to do anything anymore. And um, so and then they have a protest, all the fathers in South book about in South Park uh, about how, what did they go to college for? The handyman's making all the money. They're in demand. The handyman were getting so rich in South Park uh, from fixing everybody's problems that they wound up having a bidding war to buy Bloomberg in the show. And the parents protested and they bought a catapult to knock out the windows of the school, the college in the town. And um, they, they, but the catapult came in a box and they had to call a handyman to assemble the catapult. And then they launched a boulder through the college windows and then a handyman showed up to fix the college windows. Uh, it was really insane. And I'm not, I've never seen South Park except for one episode many years ago. <laughs> I could tell. Uh, but, but I really enjoyed it. So uh, maybe you I'm a new fan. Delgado? You watch this show? <laughs> uh, yeah. Of course he did. It was really brilliant. This is, this is, it was this brilliant. Is a staple. South yeah. Park. Eric Cartman. I only saw one with Mr. Hankey about 23 years ago, and <laughs> oh then I turned goodness. it off. The, the Christmas poop? Oh, my God. All right. Oh, my God. But, so, yeah, it was it was really brilliant the way they did so it. So, in the end, were they were they really just poking fun of, of Disney? The, well, were they poking they're, they're fun they're of themselves? Putting, well, nobody's safe from South Park's criticism, right. whether you're conservative or liberal. But they were pointing about pointing out about um, how, how, you know, people gripe about everything and they want to protest everything and they get out. And then they were pointing out how people don't know how to really do anything anymore. They have these degrees and they have no practical application. Well, and true. then they were pointing out about Kathleen Kennedy and Star Wars and Disney and all the things and the bad moves they're making, putting themselves 
out of business. Uh, but they, uh, you know, and you just can't pander to everybody and everything all the time. Uh, like you've seen these videos on TikTok, uh, not TikTok, but Twitter in the last few weeks or X um, of, you know, people going into restaurants. You know, it's a man. And, and, and he dressed like a woman, but it's a man. And he looks like a man. And he's yelling at the waiter and the manager for calling him sir. And he's like, I'm a they, she, him, they, what, you know, whatever. And, you know, these people are cuckoo. And, and uh, so it was really cool to have some comic relief to show mm. the absurdities of where we're at as a country. So I feel like there's more comedy, Delgado. You could probably speak to this, too. I, I feel like there's... I don't know, and maybe it's hidden still a little bit, but I feel like there's a lot of comedians who have been um, showing more of a, a willingness to take shots at the at the uh, insanity that the left has made everything. Well, yeah, I, and I and I think that stems from the fact that uh, you know, comedy is supposed to be a, a kind of a reflection of society. And you laugh at it because it's like, yeah, it, it, we are being kind of stupid. It, it's just, it, it's a, it's a quick look in the mirror of what people are doing and and how insane some of it is when you stop and look at it. But you have to be able to to be able to you know laugh at everything. Yeah. Because if if you're gonna sit there and and you know say, well, you know, I, I'm this, so you can't make jokes about that. Well, then then you can't laugh at jokes about anybody else. It's this insane, you know. Um, a wheel, I guess, of stupidity that these people put themselves on, like like the transgenders. Oh, you can't make fun of transgenders. Why not? You're laughing at my joke about the uh, straight yeah. white guy, or, or you know, we also we all remember Eddie Murphy doing you know the white guy dance, you know, in, in Raw, and it was hilarious. Or, or when he was making fun of Stallone, you know, hey, you see the Rocky movie? It's real life, you know, stuff like yeah. that. If you can make fun of that and laugh at it, you you got to be able to you know kind of take yourself out of it. They're not. Comedians aren't sitting there looking at you going, I'm going to make a joke because I know it's going to hurt your feelings. Yeah. You know, they're just poking fun at society. The funniest was an Eddie Murphy painting himself wife, uh, white and he gets on the bus. And when the last black guy gets off the bus, all the white people broke out champagne and were blowing <laughs> horns and stuff. And he goes to the bank and they throw him lots of cash because there was no black people in the bank. Very and, funny and I mean, stuff, I mean one of the best with this is... You couldn't is even make Dave, stuff like that anymore. Right. Oh, no. no you go crazy. Is Dave Chappelle. If you watch Dave Chappelle's old he show from Comedy Central, where he does, you know, um, uh, like white Obama and stuff like that. It's hilarious because yeah. he's just poking fun yeah. or, or he does, you know, what Obama's really thinking in his head while he's saying, you know, proper words. Yeah. It's, it's stuff like that. It, it's 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 insane. Or the uh, the uh, <laughs> the uh, the draft that they did where they drafted. I'm going to draft the white guy. I'm going to draft this guy. You know, is. The, the race draft. Very funny stuff. Yes. All right. Speaking of very funny stuff, what even is that coming oh. up? Top of the hour. That's next. Live from Studio 6B on a Friday.
Inside Live from Studio 6B, hour 2, 9 p.m. on the East Coast Real America's Voice. Glad you're in. Slick Rick's doing sports. Oddsmakers coming up in the last segment of the show. Aaron and Slick Rick throwing down college and pro picks for the weekend. I don't know what the records are, but they started out hot. They kind of cooled off one last night, so we'll see what this weekend brings. We'll get to that. David Zier's doing some news. He'll have more here in this hour. Rick Delgado's doing the news as well. What even is that coming up here in about a minute? But before we get to that, the uh, vice president was, I believe she's still overseas in London, and she was asked a question about just what we were talking about, about Mike Johnson making this Israel aid bill a standalone bill and sending it over to the Senate. The president vows to veto it. I say, I dare you. Go ahead. Well, she was asked about it. Let's see uh, what she had to say. The White House has said it will veto any bill um, that doesn't include both Israel and Ukraine. Uh, House Speaker Mike Mike Johnson has said that he wants to do Israel first alone and then move on to Ukraine and the U.S. border. What is the path forward there, and is there room for the White House to negotiate on um, U.S. border immigration issues in that package? Well, first of all, we're not negotiating that, and we've been very clear that we must stand by the role of the United States as it relates to our global responsibility to uphold and defend international rules and norms and what is right. And so our, our proposal is that there be aid given to both places, to Israel and to Ukraine. And we are standing by that, as you have said. The President has been very clear. If any bifurcation of that should occur, uh, he will veto the bill that you have um, referred to. But let's also be clear that these folks who want to be considered as leaders in the midst of global crises of a proportion we have not seen in a very long time are playing political games with people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Lightning. All right. Did you learn anything? <laughs> yeah. she's, she's remarkable. I don't well, think she paid attention to the question. <laughs> Does she ever? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it wasn't the typical word word salad that it could. It could no, have it was been. actually right. kind of good, but yeah. it wasn't. Uh, it kind of started to veer that way in the middle of that answer a little bit, but then she kind of got it back. But of course, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. all right, it's time now for one of my new favorite segments here on the show. I hope you'll enjoy it too. And that, of course, is Rick Delgado <laughs> with what even is that? All right, Damon. Well, I, I, I hope you enjoy it as well. Now, uh, I think you might remember a couple weeks ago, though it may seem longer at this point, that we discussed right here on this very segment Ooh. when I revealed to you the know. one phrase that Joe Biden uses to strike fear in the hearts of all those <laughs> evildoers around the world. Remember this? True international depression. <laughs> No, not that one, but yeah, that's pretty scary. Uh, no, no, Joe, tell them the one that really makes tyrants shake. Let me start off with two words. Here it comes. Made in America. <laughs> uh, two words. Uh, okay, yeah, Joe, that's, that's, that's the one with one word. Remember, it's one word, Joe, not two. That's actually three words. Uh, tell us, what's that one word? I have one word. Don't. Uh, okay, don't. bravo. Oh, there, you go. there it is. There yes, it is. the one word from Joe Biden that sets the bad guys a running, as they say. <laughs> well, as it turns out, that word. Don't. Don't. Yeah, is more than just a mere threat. Oh. Oh, yeah. 
No, that one word actually represents a red line that should never be crossed. Never. I dare you to step over this line. Okay, I'm a stepping. What about? I dare you to step over this one. This one. (laughs) This one. Don't. That one. Don't. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, now it seems that, uh, you know, don't is actually. Don't. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't. (laughs) That's actually our real United States foreign policy. I know. Who'd have thunk it, right? I I mean, world leaders, from from Putin to the mullahs in Iran, Joe Joe Biden has made that word don't something akin to a viable military option. (laughs) There might even be an executive order where I think that's all they did. They put on that one word. And if you think I'm making this up, think again, because... Just last Sunday on 60 Minutes, our current vice president, who we just saw, Kamala Harris, was asked the same question Joe Biden was asked when it came to the Israeli and Hamas conflict in the Middle East. And she was asked about if Iran tried to get involved. Watch for yourself. Don't. As President Biden said, just don't. Exactly. One word. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. It's really two. Really. One word. Uh, seriously, what even is that? Uh, uh, scary, right? I know. Shiver me timbers, they say. <laughs> it's enough to make the entire Middle East part of the world quiver in their hijabs. Yeah. Of course, as you can see, she is right in lockstep with old Joe and the administration. Sure. I mean, almost like they pre-programmed it into that vacant, big-faced skull of hers. Yeah. But what, what does don't actually mean, Kamala? Mm. Don't what? Don't ask me any more questions? Don't look at me because I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about or what I'm doing. <laughs> or maybe, maybe she was just said, they just told her, don't say anything more than Joe. Just don't. Yeah, don't, don't talk. Right. Yeah, don't speak, don't elaborate, don't offer any details, and whatever you do, don't make Joe look dumber than everybody already knows that he is. Yeah. And to truly make sure that she understood this directive fully, I hear they may have even put it into a uh, oh, word, <laughs> the word oh. don't into a Venn diagram oh. just so she would understand it. Oh, I love Venn, Venn diagrams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why is that funny? Yeah. yeah, as you know, or, or maybe when it comes to Kamala, her, her own AI program is so advanced, she could be doing something like talking in code. Oh. And oh. if that's the case, could it be she's trying to send a Q-type message? Oh, it could be. I don't know. Check it out, Anons. Yes. <laughs> Just look what happens when you put don't into one of her Venn diagrams. <laughs> is she trying to tell everyone to who to vote for? <laughs> Someone named Don T? <laughs> I'm not really sure, and who knows? But whatever she's trying to say, uh, what we Americans, as well as the rest of the world, can hear loud and clear is that Joe, Kamala, and the entire administration of Misfit Toys isn't up for the job. (laughs) They never have been, and sadly, we're living with the results of their ineptitude every single day. Sure. But, as you would have it, uh, you know who really is up for a job? Any kind of job? No. Who? This ah. guy. Ah. This guy. Yep. Here we go. <laughs> you Here we go. It. That's Paul Pelosi in his boxers and a nice-looking dress shirt. That's a good look, Joe. Uh, and you had better believe that he's up for any job, any kind of job, as long as it happens at around 2 a.m. in San Francisco, and it involves his wife being out of town, a nice glass of scotch, and a half-naked homeless guy. 
And, uh, of course, getting hammered in more ways than one on a Thursday night. Oh. Ooh, look at that one. Now, th now that's going to leave a mark. Yeah. Crack kills. <laughs> Put that in a Venn diagram there, Paul. Back to you, Damon. Yeah. Wow, man. That Don T thing. That always cracks brilliant. me up when, they, when he goes down. <laughs> yeah, how do you Venn diagram that, baby? There you yeah. go. You know, outside of that um, Biden Halloween costume with the two Secret Service kids following me, you see the kid falling? Oh, yeah, I posted like about them. Seconds. They win, man. They won the night. They won, but... Oh, my. Uh, the Naked Hammer Fight Club could be big next year. Oh my yeah, goodness! Did be. you see? Did you see Don Lemon dress up for Halloween? No. no. Look up Don Lemon Halloween. Speaking what? of uh, speaking of Venn diagrams, where is he? Look it up right now, Damon. If you pull it up and throw it up on screen, you you will be amazed at how well he uh, he, he portrayed Kamala, one of, our, one of our leaders. Yes. Put wow. In, put in. <laughs> Don Lemon as Kamala, and you will be oh amazed. God, that's what I'll have to look at it during the commercial break. Right. I don't have it. I thought I had the Biden kids at, at my fingertips oh, here, but I, just, I, can't, I just saw it. Ooh, I can't it seem to put my uh, my hands on the kids from Halloween. Wow. Oh, I should put this up. I did see this. Michael Payne. Uh, look at this good-looking shirt that he's wearing out with Santa. He's getting getting the jump on. Uh, Oh, look at this. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, looking pretty good there. Santa needs <laughs> nice. one of those. Hey, wow. wow, look at that. There you go. Nice. Looking pretty good there. So <laughs> I did see the thanks, Aaron. I did see the kids on um on Halloween dressed up as uh as going around as Biden. <laughs> I mean, when I tell you they absolutely <laughs> nailed it. They nailed it like this. <laughs> look at this. Here's the kids on Halloween. Oh, Biden, look at oh, this. Watch this. He's walking. You know. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> 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 Secret Service has to pick him up. No, no, no. Come on, Joe. <laughs> Come on, Joe. Over here. Oh, Go over here. Does he walk into the and pole? Then he, he goes up and <laughs> he, he goes up and he sniffs some lady. <laughs> he goes up and sniffs some lady afterwards. Yeah, he falls awesome. off his bike. Oh my God! Oh, These kids awesome. absolutely nailed it. That's so. excellent. That's All right, let's do some sports. Sports oh, is brought to you funny. by Mike Lindell and My Pillow. Use our code LFS6B at checkout. Slick Rick, what's going on? All right. Well, we talked a little bit about this last night, but authorities are probing whether suspended Michigan staffer was present at CMU Michigan game. Can you imagine? Warner Todd Houston of Breitbart amid an ongoing investigation into an alleged sign-stealing controversy. New questions have been raised over whether suspended Michigan staffer Connor Stallions was present on the sidelines during a September 1st game between MSU and Central Michigan University. Photos of a man in a goatee and wearing sunglasses have been revealed by The Athletic. The man in the image has not been identified, still hasn't been identified yet, but the critics say he bears an uncanny resemblance to Stallions. In addition, uh, jo Jose or Josh Pate, the uh, late kick, says that the uh, sunglasses he is wearing may be Ray-Ban's Meta glasses, which uh, have the capacity to record what is before them. All this conjecture currently, but the officials have uh, announced that they are aware of this new, this new controversy and they're looking into it. Central Michigan coach Jim McElwain noted on Tuesday that the school is aware of the allegations. Before we go any further, the Columbus Dispatch reported, we obviously are aware of a picture floating around with the 
sign steal a guy or people are doing everything they can to get to the bottom of it. So they still haven't actually officially you know, come out with this yet, but we're pretty sure that's who it is. So this is going to be very interesting as this plays out with uh, now number three, Michigan, uh, the Wolverines, and uh, if there will be any suspensions involved, Big D, and what's going to happen before the uh, college playoffs as we wind down the season. So very, very interesting. And, uh, well, big weekend in NASCAR. Which of Bell, Blaney, or uh, Byron or Byron Lawson will win NASCAR Cup? This is Ryan McGee of ESPN. From crazy finishes and fisticuffs to the impending retirements of legends and the resurrection of uh, North Wilkesboro Speedway, NASCAR's 75th year has been a season full of milestones. Now, after nine months, it is time to crown a Cup Series champion. Stock cars, 16 playoff participants have been pushed through a ringer of postseason bracket, and we are now down to the championship four who will race Sunday afternoon on the perfectly imperfect ovalish one mile that is Phoenix Raceway. Forget all you may think uh, or know about NASCAR's admittedly complicated point system. This one is easy. The highest finisher among the quartet will be anointed as champion. Something to look forward to this weekend. Big D in NASCAR as they have their championship game and uh, championship race, I should say. And uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. We'll have our eye on football and NASCAR. going to be a busy weekend. That's a wrap. More news with David Zier, Rick Delgado coming up. Oddsmakers, end of the show. Friday night. You know, we're up against another government shutdown later this month, and our, well, our leaders, uh, they think they can deal with it in the same way they always do, and of course, that's more spending. While lawmakers are high-fiving, your savings account continues to lose value because more spending continues to weaken the dollar. Well, we got to end the cycle. Diversify into gold with the help of Birch Gold. You can do that for yourself. And listen, when you open a gold IRA, for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Just text America to 989898 to claim eligibility before Black Friday. Birch Gold can help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a gold IRA for no money out of pocket. And you'll still get the free gold bar. So don't let your savings become a victim of the further devaluation of the U.S. dollar, text AMERICA to 989898. Receive a free information kit on gold and claim your eligibility before Black Friday to receive a free gold bar on your qualified purchase from our friends at Birch Gold Group. Text AMERICA to 989898. Do it today. All right, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Let's do some news. Uh, we'll do both with David Zier and Rick Delgado. We'll start with Mr. Delgado. News is brought to you by our friends over at Seven Cells. 
7sales.com. Use our code LFSXP at checkout. What uh, what else is going on in the world? All right. Well, this one, uh, kind of in keeping with, with a lot of what's been going on over in the Middle East, as multiple A-list actors, TV showrunners, and Hollywood producers are criticizing their Tinseltown colleagues for their hesitance to condemn the Hamas attacks on Israel last month and the anti-Semitism that has risen around the world in the wake of the October 7th massacre. You're talking about A-list entertainers like Jerry Seinfeld, Juliana Margulies, along with very high-profile producers, showrunners. These are the very powerful people behind the scenes in Hollywood. And former president of NBC, Noah Oppenheimer, voiced their concern in recent weeks that many in the entertainment industry have stayed silent on the issue, uh, which is uh, you know surprising, according to them, because they were very they they didn't hesitate to promote Me Too and Black Lives Matter when those were trending social movements. Hundreds of writers in the Writers Guild union, including entertainers like I mentioned, uh, Seinfeld, Sasha Baron Cohen, Josh Gad, Eli Roth signed an open letter October 15th condemning their own union, one of the most powerful in Hollywood, for being the only major Hollywood union not to provide a statement on the Hamas attack on Israel at the time. The letter also included Oppenheimer's signature, as well as that of uh, Randy Mayhem Singer, the screenwriter behind Mrs. Doubtfire, and pointed out the WGA's hypocrisy on the issue. Uh, so it, it's kind of interesting how this is uh, the, the, the stand on Israel is really exposing a lot of these people who, you know, are, are, like they said, you're very quick to jump on the latest, uh, you know, movement out there. But as soon as it comes down to Israel, they kind of show who they really are. And, and it turns out a lot of these people are, are kind of anti-Semites, which is, uh, you know, with, with so many powerful Jewish people in Hollywood, you would think they'd kind of curb that stuff down, you know? It's unbelievable. Just can't even imagine. And where's Rob Reiner? You know, it's very like, quiet. You know, yeah, apparently. very quiet. Eating. That's where he is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, another story from uh, yesterday is, uh, of course, the fundraising person for Mayor Adams in New York City, who was subjected to that FBI raid on her home yesterday morning. I'm talking about Brianna Suggs. She graduated from Brooklyn College with a Bachelor of Science and has close ties to the mayor's inner circle. Has a lot of people scratching their heads about what's going on there. Suggs has been touted as a key campaign consultant and fundraiser to Adams, but sources said that the young operative uh, lack of experience raised eyebrows during the 2021 mayoral race, with some attributing her apparent elevated status to her political connections. It's clear that she was there because of who she knew, uh, one of the sources said, in terms of Sugg's position in the race. The guy's running for mayor, so you think you would have some marquee fundraiser. Suggs was brought on as an interim uh, at, on as an intern at the Brooklyn Borough Hall in 2017 when Adams was the borough president and Lewis Martin was his deputy. And I, and I know, uh, David, you had some heard some things about this as well, correct? Yeah, well, she has a, uh, a woman above her, and I, I forgot her name, but that was very close with Adams. Um, and she was only like 25, Brianna Suggs, when yeah. she was raising like 20-something 20, 20 million dollars. But Curtis Slewa on WABC Radio today, was on a tear talking about Adam's connections to the Bonanno organized crime family, one of the five families in New York, you know, in the mob, um, and and how he got this guy, a uh, Adams got in as the buildings commissioner. Uh, I think it was a building commissioner in New York City, right? And um, how they were steering projects to the mob, and uh, you know, some crazy things. So 
Uh, you got to listen to Curtis. He he is a, an, an atlas of knowledge for New York City. Not um, not only that, but the multiple trips that he took to Turkey as well. He like seven that trips that to Turkey. <laughs> it's like, why does the mayor why? of New York going to Turkey so often? Yeah, and we know he likes the limelight, but Turkey, I mean, come on. Right. Uh, but probably related not only to that construction company, but to the other company uh, that I mentioned last night. Right. Um, I, I think it was called Echo Safety. I forgot the name of the company offhand. Um, but, you know, there were indictments months ago in July of six people who were uh, funneling votes through straw voters, straw donors. Um, and this is probably all related, right? Yeah, it could be. And, and then then people were also and I and I saw this theory as well. And I kind of kind of got me thinking it's a theory, um, not one that I came up with. But they're saying, why would why would the FBI attack one of their own? Right. And it's because some some people think it's because well you know what My, Mayor Adams has been a pain in the in the rump to the Biden administration. Yeah, I was thinking about that six to eight months over this illegal migrant thing. It's like, look, we need to shut him up, get him in line, and maybe this is just shot. Well, D. A. Bragg originally went after uh, these uh, donors and did not, uh, you know, involve Adams in those indictments. But it's uh, very shady. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a history here. Right. Um, so uh, yeah. it, it, who knows? It could be it could be an administration administration related saying, you know what, let's get this guy in line. We need to shut him up. He keeps complaining about immigration um, and we ain't got no money to shut him up. So let's just uh, <laughs> let's just let's just, uh, you know, kind of shake the uh, shake the cage as they say. Yeah. Hanging over his head. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so. speaking of theories, Delgado, I thought of you. Um, oh, yeah. I guess it was this morning. Sorry to hear about that. When I saw <laughs> uh, when I saw this. <laughs> Did he say thought? <laughs> yes, I thought of Delgado. Delgado, and I was, as I was going through the news, I saw this article by Victoria Taft. And you want to hear a little bit of it? Oh, I love her work. She yeah. says, uh, Hunter Biden's been protected by the FBI and probably the CIA and every other three-letter agency devoted to national security and spying. His illegal behavior, bribe-taking, money-laundering operations has been made possible by connections to his, of course, crooked dad, the big guy, Joe Biden. But I predict Hunter Biden will slither out of his legal problems with the help with the help of the swamp, but not for the reasons you think. This prediction prompts a couple of big questions, and that's where my theory, she says, gets interesting. Key revelations about this $40,000 check that we saw this week, 10% in payments from his family's crooked business, blew the doors off again. Just weeks, uh, we learned the FBI relied on 40 confidential human sources to learn about Joe and Hunter Biden's dirty dealings. Those contemporaneous reports of dirty Biden dealings were shut down by the equally dirty FBI, which conjured the false assertion that they were subject to foreign disinformation. Before that, we learned that Hunter Biden tag-teamed with his dad to turn official vice presidential visits into personal shakedown machines. She says, and then Hunter was brought up on only gun charges. His protection by the FBI on tax evasion, bribery, self-dealing, FARA violations. Was it for political reasons? Definitely. Was the FBI motivated by anti-Trump animus? Yes. Collusion? Yep. Treason? Absolutely. One can, ca- one can watch what the left and government agencies are doing to Donald Trump and wonder about the duplicitous ways in which these two presidential candidates have been treated. But I have a theory, she says. And here we go. About how Hunter Biden will get out of his legal problems. And that will be that the FBI will say that he has been working for them. Yep. As an informant. I said that. I said that a year and a half ago. I could talk about it when we come back. She says, odds are that Hunter is one of the 40 confidential human sources providing information 
to the spy agencies about the dirty Biden crime family, or at least that's what the FBI would say if they're pressed. <laughs> Shut up, Aaron. <laughs> Live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. What? Oh, God. Delgado and, and Slick Rick in the commercial bricks are just, uh, just right, Zier? They're just impossible to deal with. You yeah, say I've one thing and they just... never seen anything like it. Oh, man. Never God, anything just, bookends. They just yep. kill you. They just kill you. He's so. in a pod. All right. Yeah. So we, here we go, guys. FBI oh. and CIA, when pressed, they're going to say that the dopey crackhead of the president's son is working an intelligence uh, gig with the feds just to keep him out of legal harm's way. What do you think, Delgado? Um, that's going to be that's going to be a, a high bar to meet because they're going to have to have uh, records of that. Yeah, and that's going to be something that uh, Congress can subpoena. I did a uh, special report with Miranda Devine a year and a half ago at the America First Warehouse on Rav, and she told our audience that she thinks um, that. Hunter Biden may have been an asset for the CIA on some of his trips. You know, he had 20 something trips on Air Force Two around the world and may have been used to ascertain information. And maybe that's another reason why he's been protected. So Victoria Taft brings that exact thing up. She says, my husband was questioned by the FBI a few times after coming back from business trips to China to find out if he had any inside info. Can you imagine the information that the intel community could learn from a Hunter Biden who just struck a deal with a Ukrainian spy, a member of the high-level CCP apparatchik, or a billionaire oligarch? The feds have worse sources than that in the aforementioned FBI scandals. Ask Carter Page how he was uh, yeah. uh, looked at as a spy so the FBI could lie about him on a FISA warrant in order to spy on the Trump campaign. So she brings that exact point up, David Zier. Yeah, could be, could be. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's going to be a tough one, I think, for people to swallow. Well, he traveled uh, the world it is, extensively. It, you know, it is Hunter Biden, and let's face it. Um, well, but it's not only Hunter Biden, as she says. The grandkids. Uh, all of them are obviously they've all taken money. They've all got bank accounts, college funds. They're spending money, Venmo accounts. She says they're all blackmail and extortion subjects to anybody around the world. I think Miranda Devine is the world's foremost authority on the on the Hunter Biden. And, um, you know, she she didn't you know, she was insinuating that 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 might be the case. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure. And and my theory is is. Uh, I'm I'm not going to go that far. If anything, I think they could be protecting him because of the fact that they've been they've been monetizing things off of him, right? Because he's been out there doing this for a bit of a while. So is Joe Biden. They probably ha they probably have so much on Joe Biden. They're like, look, if, if they find out that we've known about his crimes all this time, they're coming after us. We just got to make sure that we kind of tamp this down as much as possible. As for Hunter Biden, I think. This guy is one one good bump away from uh, rolling over on old dad because if, if he gets cut into the wind, you know, and, and old Joe decides, hey, you know what? Uh, I got to protect myself. I got to protect Alexei. I'm the president for damn for damn sake. Um, well, son of a bitch, he's going to probably do it. Don't. Yeah. 
He's probably going to do it. He, he's probably going to dime out his son or just say, you know what? Uh, you're going to have to take, you're going to have to go to jail for a while. I'm well, sorry. As, you got to protect the family. As she also says in the closing of this article, by the way, this is in PJ Media today if you want to read it for yourself. She says it doesn't matter if the compromised crackhead was really doing a solid for the feds. It only matters that they can pretend that he was. We're sorry, Your Honor. We can't give out any information to the other side about our super secret operation of our super secret agent, Hunter Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? They might they might go that way. Yeah. Uh, I, but, but it does really remind real quick of this one story of uh, an FBI former top spy catcher pleading guilty over the summer back in July to conspiring to violate U.S. sanctions by taking money from the Russians in exchange for, for information. So, you know, these guys, these guys have been doing it for, for God knows how long, and they're all just covering up for each other at this point. Yeah. All right, let's do some news with David Zier. I know you've been uh, got a lot going on. I also know you've been looking at next Tuesday, obviously, is election, uh, election day Tuesday, and you've got the Virginia legislature, both chambers up. You've got the New yeah. Jersey legislature up. You've got the governorship in Kentucky. You've got the governorship, I think, in Mississippi. Mississippi. We would have had the governorship, I think, in Louisiana, but obviously he didn't have to go to a runoff, so he's already locked that in. That was a big Republican yeah, win. Yeah, he won. See if that lays the groundwork for Mississippi. And I, I, is Virginia going to be more of a um, – is that going to be kind of a referendum on what the governor there has done so far? Or uh, uh, what have you been following for Tuesday? I don't know. It's so purple, Virginia. You yeah. know, it's not, uh, it's not really not a bellwether for the rest of the country that may – lean red you know uh this if if jeff landry you know he he he's in louisiana he has that seat uh bashir democrat kentucky is uh losing by one point in the latest emerson poll to cameron uh and if the mississippi incumbent governor tate reeves wins that'll be three gubernatorial races this year that go red pretty good indicator for things going forward so i thought that was interesting um so we'll follow it um you know, Real America's Voice will have coverage on election night. So I just wanted to bring up a couple of quick stories. Um, you know, the Russians down 17 Ukrainian MiG-29s, you know, which is a fantastic aircraft. Uh, in 10 days, there's only two dozen left in the Ukrainian inventory. And there was, uh, you know, this, this uh, Ukrainian uh, leader who was, uh, you know, uh, lamenting that Ukraine is at a stalemate, not taking any uh, territory, and that the Russians, even though they lost 150,000 men or so, and the Ukrainians lost a couple hundred thousand maybe, or something like that, um, that Russia is not backing down. Uh, they've got these new drones that are devastating to Ukrainians, um, and that they're, Russian isn't, Russian, Russia's not going anywhere anytime soon. And um, this uh, Ukrainian uh, commander-in-chief of the armed forces of, uh, you know, Ukraine, he gave a really sour assessment on where things stand. So I thought that was really interesting. It's something to follow. Um, I also wanted to bring up, I don't know if we covered this this week, that the offshore wind company, the Dutch company, Orsted in Jersey, is pulling two of the biggest projects in Jersey for wind farms. We know we lost the um, one off Rhode Island, which was a trillion dollar project almost, um, that one. So that's three windmill projects are going. You know, these things way out at sea produce a little bit more power. Four hour, uh, instead of four hours of productivity a day, they go for eight. Um, but the expense on it and the real expense, just like these electric cars, the real cost per gallon is $17 a gallon. 
uh, the extraordinary expense of the offshore wind farms. Um, there's big ones planned in Virginia, though. Those will probably go through. Uh, but Ocean Wind 1 and Ocean Wind 2 have been scrubbed. Uh, I thought that was interesting as well. And, um, you know, I just thought, um, you know, that the expense of this, you still need a conventional grid underlying. You still need combustion, natural gas cycle, or coal-fired plants to keep a constant <clears throat> flow in the grid of electricity. And we can't store it. And yeah, batteries are only good for three to five hours a day. Solar only produces solar four hours a day. They don't work at night. The wind, you know, the wind stuff, the winds die down at night. They're only four to eight hours a day. So we're a long way. And the problem is all these big companies and providers and electric grid uh, power providers are going to have to start to, to do rolling brownouts starting next year because 50% just from PJM, which operates in 13 states, the seventh largest manufacturer of energy, uh, produces like tw 13 or 20% of our energy in the country are going to have to start doing rolling blackouts because they're replacing coal plants with renewables. So, um, you know, I think the reality of uh, the renewable green agenda is coming to fruition. Well, know? for a lot of us, it came to fruition a long time ago, but I guess in some of these projects you see going down. Yeah, and they have benefits. And uh, wind and solar have benefits to the grid, but it's a backup can't be you can't sustain on it yeah you Just, can you can supplement here and there but it's it's nowhere near where we would need to be to be able to uh sustain any any amount no. of electricity that's going to be needed uh, what would they say our capacity right now is for 30 seconds or 60 seconds yeah yeah in the entire it's, world it's nothing it's the battery it's nothing. capacity in the entire world to run everything would be 60 seconds it's going right to be now. it's going to be decades before they have uh but they are increasing you know the time they can store uh just one last thing is that the jobs report um it was down oh yes uh, we're down about a hundred thousand jobs cumulatively over the last two three months you know because we you were talking about how they always make these adjustments later that's, yeah. that's the most important thing not only were the numbers this, this morning awful but the rev the revi the revisions to the previous month is where you really need to look right yeah. I think they were down somewhere between 80, some, somewhere around 70, 80,000 they revised downward yeah. in September. Big number. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, Zero Hedge, if I just quickly go to my, our, uh, if you follow us on, on X, I've been talking about it. They, uh, Zero Hedge had some charts. They said it's literally insane. Never before have U.S. job numbers been manipulated uh, to this degree. And so, like, if you look at household versus establishment, like, the establishment survey is the green. The household survey is in the red. She said, uh, they, Zero Hedge said, this is insane. Never before have U.S. job numbers been manipulated to this extent. The much more accurate and less manipulated household survey shows employment collapsed by 348,000, the biggest drop since the COVID shutdown. So the the idea of um, Bidenomics working, the economy's all good, the consumers holding up, um, soft landing is in our future. Recession is. I heard Joe Biden say it the other day. Oh, the recession! Everybody keeps talking about recession. The recessions, folks. Th these numbers tell you employment, jobless claims are going up, unemployment's going up. All these job numbers they say are creating jobs are second and third jobs for people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, second and third, and they're revising downward because, uh, let's face it, the policies are killing jobs. Didn't they say like half of the jobs were second jobs in the last report? It was a big number. 
yeah, Zero Hedge also said Biden's Department of Fake Data doing its thing. August jobs revised down by 62,000. September was revised down by 39,000, which means eight of the last nine months have been revised lower than the original job numbers that they gave us. So not, not so rosy in the land of uh, Bidenomics as they want to make you believe it is. So Yeah, and the Dow, yeah. So anyway. Dow rallied yesterday a big number because I think, that, I think they think that the Fed's done cutting. That there's just no possible way, given what we're, the scenario that we're looking at. Because they know, they won't say it, but they have the data that shows unemployment is probably ticking up pretty fast. Job numbers are really not what anyone thinks they are. Right. And that um, I'm I'm a new construction. There's no way for them to raise rates I, any further. I'm a new construction, residential and commercial, and uh, people are not walking through the door. They are not walking through the door. Who well, can, the, who the, can I do mean, it? the commercial, I'm sure you have a better insight. But every, I mean, the residential market is is frozen, and yeah. I don't know how it ever budges. Quite frankly. Yeah. Well, permits were up for the year, but um, starts are down. Single family, multifamily construction, but uh, but the the customer flow is not there. Well, it's because there. there's no money. They can't afford to sell, yeah. and they can't afford to buy, because they can't afford to, to to get out of something, and they can't find somebody who can afford to buy it. And then when it comes time for them to sell, what are they going to buy and step into an eight percent mortgage? No thanks. They're, they're going to hold. They're going to hold until uh, yeah. things change. Absolutely. Um, as Stanley Drunkenmiller said, everybody everybody found a way to refinance their debt when money was free at two point nine three percent, other than the U.S. government. Yeah. <laughs> Treasury, which is why he says it's amazing that Janet Yellen is still be is still allowed to stay in that job because she has no business even being there. All right, odds makers coming up to wrap it up for a great week. Friday night live from Studio Six B. We're back right after this. Friday night, 13 till the hour. It's been a great day, been a great show, been a great week. Glad you've been a part of it. As always, make sure you visit us on our social media at LFS6B. And of course, make sure you follow us at live from studio6b.com. All right, it's third, it's Friday night, last segment of the show, which can only mean one thing. It's time now for the odds makers. Here we go. Week 10 college football week nine in the NFL. Aaron and Slick Rick throwing it down. I don't know where we stand on our records. I do. Okay, Slick Rick, where do we stand? So Aaron is one game over 531 and 30 and Slick is uh, two games under 537 and oh. 39. Okay, so a three game lead right now yep. for Aaron in the odds makers okay. as we head into a week 10 in college football. That's where we'll start. Slick Rick, where are we going first? We're going to go uh, Notre Dame and Clemson 
Big D. I'm going to take uh, Notre Dame, number 15 Notre Dame, over Clemson, uh, minus three points. I think quarterback Sam Hartman is going to have a good day for Notre Dame and right the course. Head coach of uh, Clemson, Debo Sweeney, not having a good season this year, Big D. First time they're 500 since 2010. So give me Notre Dame, the fighting Irish. Notre Dame, number 15, 7-2 on the road to Clemson. As you said, Debo Sweeney's getting a lot of flack for that oh, yeah. big money uh, contract he signed being at 4-4. Four and four. Slick Rick's going to take the Irish minus the three on the road. Aaron, where are you going in this game? I will also be taking the Irish minus three on the road. I don't think Clemson's offense is any match for the fighting Irish defense. They know how to make really good plays on other people's mistakes. They, The Clemson's offense is really bad with turnovers right now, so I just don't think they're going to be able to hold off the Fighting Irish. All right, both of you on Notre Dame minus the three on the road. Noon on Saturday. Slick Rick, where are we going game number two? Another noon game, Big D. We're going to New Jersey with the Ohio State will visit Rutgers University. All right, Ohio State 8-0 on the year and ranked number one, I believe. Going to Rutgers 6-2, yes. pretty respectable. Uh, noon game. OSU is favored by 19 on the road. Slick Rick, where are we going in this one? I got to go with the U, Big D. I think they're, they're prime now. They're the number one team. They're looking to make a statement. I can't make an argument for Rutgers uh, with Marvin Harrison, Harrison Jr., Kyle McCord at QB, and, of course, Travion Henderson of uh, the running back. They're just a, That's a three-headed triple threat monster there. I like the Buckeyes, Big D, and All a right. big win. OSU for Slick. Of course, the U would be Miami. Let's not get it confused. Well, OSU. <laughs> the U in um, The U Ohio in State. OS, yes. So OSU, Ohio State. Uh, minus the 19 for Slick. Aaron, where are you going? Here. Yep, give me the Buckeyes on the road. I'm with Slick on this one. Like we said before, Ohio State remains undefeated. I think they're going to make a big statement. Rutgers is 6-2. and two. They're not playing bad, obviously, but I just don't think they're going to be able to hold Ohio off. All right, don't have the talent to hang with them, you guys think? So Ohio State for both of you, minus 19. Slick, game number three, where are we going? We're going to go to uh, Oklahoma State, Big D, where the uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys will take on the Ooh, Oklahoma Sooners. 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, ninth-ranked Oklahoma, 7-1 and one on the road, Oklahoma State. State ranked 22nd, 6-2. Oklahoma, a six-point favorite on the road. Slick Rick, where are we going? Uh, Oklahoma's coming off a tough Kansas loss, even though this is a 19-10 rivalry, Big D. 91-19-7 all-time. Oklahoma is uh, is the top team. But I'm going to go with the Cowboys. I think it's going to be Choklahoma. Might even be an upset. So uh, give me the Oklahoma State Cowboys with the six points. Oh, plus six at home. Taking the dog at home, Slick Rick. Yep. I like that. Aaron, where are you going here? Nope, give me the Sooners on the road. Oklahoma has one of the top offenses in the country. They're ranked number seven in total offense right now, and they're coming off a big loss, their first loss of the season last week, so I think they're going to be fired up to take the win on the road. Okay, very good. Here's our first split of the odds makers. You guys are on opposite sides of this game. Aaron's got Oklahoma. Slick's got the Cowboys at home getting six. All right, where are we going for game number four? 745, primetime game, Big D, Alabama and LSU in the Tides town there. And um, I'm going with, uh, well, you give me the numbers. LSU, six and two on the road, Alabama, seven and one. Alabama ranked eighth. Boy, that's weird to see an eight next to Alabama. Still in the hunt. Alabama minus three at home in this game, over under 61 and a half. That jumps out to you. High scoring game, odds makers thinks maybe a close one. What do you got here, Slick? Well, you got LSU, top scoring offense in the country. Uh, QB, Jaden Daniels, all world, doing a great job. However, here's the, here's the hook, Big D. LSU will be starting three 
true freshman defensive backs in this game as they have three of their regular players out on injury. So that's a big, big, big red flag for me. I like the Tide. I like Saban taking advantage of it. He's a fantastic coach, and uh, I think the Tide, who's still in the playoff hunt, I like them big time. All right, Alabama minus the three for Slickster. Aaron, where are you going here? I'm going with Alabama here also. They have an outstanding defense, and they've cleaned up their offense after struggling early on in the season. They're playing their third quarterback, Jalen Min uh, Min Milrow. They've helped tremendously uh, turning around their offense, so I think they're going to roll. All right, so you both got Alabama. So only one game there that you guys are opposite on, so Slick's got only one chance to pick up some uh, pick up some uh, room there in college football. Is that it for college? That's it for college. It'll get interesting All in right, let's sure. go to week nine in the NFL. Slickster, where are we going? We're going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's next-door neighbors, the Cleveland Browns, Big D. One o'clock, Cleveland Browns. Let's Arizona go. coming in at one and seven. Cleveland, not great, but four and three. One game above 500 at home. Cleveland, minus 10. A four and three team at home, minus 10. 10. Tells you a lot 10. about the, uh, the opponent 10. coming in. Yes. Cleveland minus 10 over Arizona. Where are you going here? Well, that line has moved since this morning because it was <laughs> yes. minus 8. So it looks like a lot of money coming in on the Browns. Um, too late to, for me to pull out. I like the Cleveland D. Miles Garrett defensive end. The whole hook here is going to be whether or not Kyler Murray is going to start. I just checked. Coach has not admitted whether or not he's going to play. Uh, and if they have Clayton Toon out there, the true rookie, I think that uh, Cleveland should roll over him. If Murray plays, he's been out for a while. I think he'll be running for his life well, either way. I think way. the line tells you that. That he's not playing, which yeah, is why you're seeing yeah. the money coming in on Cleveland. Exactly. So, so I'm going to take. I'm still going to take Cleveland. I'm going to lay the ten uh, at home. All right, Aaron, where are you going in this game? I'm going with Cleveland. Also, I didn't know the line moved, but like Slick said, I'm still going to go with it anyway. Um, I don't think the rookie QB Clayton Tune is any match for Cleveland's defense. So. All right, very good. You're both on Cleveland there, minus the ten. Where are we going? Game number two, Slick. We're going to go to the. Well, it's not yet yet the frozen tundra, but we're going to go to Lambeau Field. Big D with the Green Bay Packers are hosting the L.A. Rams, who are still licking their wounds from a Dallas Cowboy beatdown last Sunday. That's right. Two lousy teams, three and five Rams on the road to two and five Green Bay. Green Bay minus three. What are you doing here? Green Bay minus three. I'm going to take the pack and I'm going to run Big D. I think uh, quarterback Matthew Stafford's questionable. He's got a hand injury there, the thumb a dislocation. And uh, if they put in their backup, Brett Rippian, I don't think they're going to have much of a chance. I like the Packers to get on the winning track and win this game at home. All right, Aaron, where are you going here? I'm going with the Rams. I just don't trust Love to get anything going on the offense, even at home. And I know Matt Stafford is a possible being out with the thumb injury, but I still think that they can take Green Bay on the road. All right, so you guys are split in that game. Uh, where are we going for game number three? Fantastic game, actually. It's uh, we're going to go to Baltimore, Big D. The Ravens at home hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Five and two at six and two. Baltimore minus six. Where are you going, Slick? I'm going to take the Ravens, laying the six. I like them a lot. All right, Aaron, where are we going in this game? I'm going with the Ravens. Also, they're having an excellent season. They're playing very well. The Seahawks are doing pretty good, too, but I think Geno Smith's luck is going to run out against Lamar this weekend. All right. You're both on Baltimore minus six. The Harbaugh drives me crazy with the decision-making. I couldn't be on them minus six at home, but we'll see how you guys do. Slick, where are we going for game number four? <laughs> well, Aaron's taking me there. I wasn't going to drive my car down to Philly and take to. my Cowboys, but she to. did. <laughs> she took that game, and uh, well, you know what? Dallas Cowboys. Game of the week. Dallas heads to Philly. Dallas 5-2. Philly best record in the league at 7-1. Philly minus 3. 
Where are you going, Slick? <laughs> I got to go. I got to stand with my boys. I think uh, rookie sensational Yikes. kicker, uh, Brandon Aubrey, kicks a late 50-plus-yard field goal. He's looking to talk, break the record. He's tied right now for a rookie record, most consecutive field goals. The guy started out playing for Notre Dame as a soccer player. He hasn't played football until the USFL. Give me Brandon Aubrey. Long 50-yard field goal, 26-24 Cowboys, which means, obviously, Cowboys plus the three. All right, so Cowboys going to win the game outright, Slick says, of yes, course. Indeed. Aaron, what are you doing here? Quick. I don't agree with Slick at all. I'm taking <laughs> the Eagles, obviously. I just can't pick the Cowboys. That's number one. But number two, um, obviously we know the Eagles have been playing extremely well. They're 7-1, to one, like you said. They haven't lost at home yet, and I don't see that happening this week. All at right, all. there they we go. Your, they lost to Aaron's Jets of all teams. Come on now. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. I'm not going there. Come on. Odds makers for Friday. <laughs> hot with her. As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines protecting us. Thanks to David Zier for sitting in. You'll see him here next week as well. Thanks, guys, on the show. Delgado, have a great week off. Aaron, Fran, thanks. As always, great job. Most of all, thank you to live from Studio 6B Audience. Have a great weekend, everybody. We will see you. I will see you on Monday night, and we'll get ready for Election Tuesday. Trump on Wednesday. It's going to be a busy week. We'll see you then.